0: A local LGBTQ plus organization is seeking donations for a new youth center and
1: a new hotline has been started by the LGBT National Coming Out Center.
0: And on top of that, a great conversation with a local organization for indigenous people. Welcome to the very first episode of Queerly Inquiring. I'm Greg, he, him. And I'm Mary, she, her. Let's talk a little bit about what we are doing here and who we are. I am a uh, San Jose-based bisexual male who has been living in the South Bay pretty much my entire life, and we've kind of had this conversation, Mary and I, about doing this podcast for a long time. We are both queer people, we both are very active in the LGBTQ plus spaces, or at least try to be more active and we realized that we are always talking about these things in person
1: it comes up every time i see your face it doesn't matter what's going on whether it's a friends get together or uh, most recently at a wedding Mm -hmm. for dear friends uh and we automatically started chatting about hey what's going on in the lgbtq plus world and how can we do something to do more about that and and support the community, not for our own sakes, uh, but but for everyone. And that is kind of the genesis of this podcast, which, by the way, I mean, let me let me backtrack for a moment. Not a Bay Area native. I moved here in 2017, but uh, identify as a lesbian, have been ever since. I had a really interesting dream back at the age of 13. (laughs) But that's a story for another time. But yeah, so... Once I was here in the Bay Area that has such a storied LGBTQ plus history, I wanted to know what I could do to be more involved in it in whatever way I can. And I believe, uh, you know, Greg
0: felt the same way. (laughs) Yeah, I really did. And as they say, the queers find each other. (laughs) Always. You
1: know, it's a look across the room. You know, it's a nod. You you get the look in your eye. That's Mm -hmm. right.
0: (laughs) And you just know. You just know. It's like that person over there. They are also a part of the community. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of communities, locally, we have an amazing LGBTQ plus organization that has been doing some amazing work in the South Bay, Silicon Valley Pride. Full disclosure, I have done work for Silicon Valley Pride. I have gotten paid for that work that I have done for Silicon Valley Pride. I do host some of their events. Um, So just with that disclaimer out of the way, they did announce a bunch of really, really cool events that are going to be coming up very soon. Um, They have the uh, Sharks Pride Night, which is always a total blast on uh, uh, March 18th versus the Islanders. Who knows if the Sharks are actually going to
1: win? I I mean, yeah, that's always a toss up, right, is how the Sharks are going to do. But who's going to win? It's going to to be the queer community that wins going to the Pride night. I know when I first moved here, one of the first things that I did with my girlfriend at the time. Was go to a pride night for the San Francisco Giants and You know you're always I got so excited because You get the cool hat Mm -hmm. uh, and It had like the you know nice rainbow logo On there and and everything and it Was dope and so I'm excited to see What
0: kind of swag you can get I believe It's for the first hundred people Who buy tickets I'm gonna have to double Check that but uh, you get a really cool San Jose Sharks pride hat which is pretty Rad so I'm I'm totally down for that And I believe they're also going to have shirts for sale There and and it's just gonna be a blast seeing hockey with uh, with some local LGBTQ+ people is always just a blast and i believe they also do like a big group photo at some point during the uh, the game so that would be That's uh, fantastic it's 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 a ton of fun uh they also announced uh an upcoming drag brunch which is happening uh, march 5th at sofa market in san jose if you've never been to a drag brunch before let me tell you it is so much fun and sofa market is just a really really cool venue for drag brunches it's very intimate it's very goofy it's I mean, and the performers that they all get, I believe uh, Alpha Andromeda usually does uh, a lot of the hosting. And so does uh, Jackie Lation, who is uh, just a wonderful drag performer. And the performance is just so fun.
1: I've been to drag shows. I've been to several uh, in my lifetime, but I've not been to a drag brunch. This, is, this feels like it's combining two things that I really enjoy.
0: <laughs> Many millennials do indeed <laughs> agree with you. Brunch is a way of life as well as a national <laughs> pastime.
1: A little a little bit of drag with my avocado toast.
0: I get it. Giving up that avocado toast will still not give us the housing that we need. Um,
1: <laughs> Why you got to bring it down? Greg? I, Why know, you gotta do I know. That?
0: Uh, Speaking of places that are looking for a new location, there is the Oakland LGBTQ plus center who is seeking some donations,
1: donations and volunteers, as a matter of fact, they've uh, been putting together a youth center for queer and trans youth and, you know, have needed some help boots on the ground, so to speak, to help build the center up and kind of fix the place up. And then they dealt with some water damage because of the recent storms that we were dealing with uh, about a month or so ago. And so now they are looking for donations. Now you can go kind of check out the post. It's on Instagram at Oakland LGBTQ Center. They're hoping to have this youth space ready by April 15th. You can hit up. I think there's a donation link on their site and on their Instagram page as well. Or you can reach out to do some volunteering to Johanna Holden at Johanna at Oakland LGBTQ Center dot org or Lissandra at OaklandLGBTQCenter.org. And just check out their Instagram page in general. They just had their Black History Month Kiki Party. The photos and video from that, they were having the best time. It just, it looks so cool.
0: I think that a lot of LGBTQ plus people don't realize just how much fun you can have within the community. And so having community organizations like the Oakland LGBTQ Plus Community Center, the Billy DeFrank LGBTQ Community Center in San Jose, Silicon Valley Pride, Oakland Pride, even San Francisco Pride, they're just amazing organizations where you can meet wonderful human beings and like-minded queer people um, and help uplift each other. You know, we've had exactly. a lot- a lot of negative news about LGBTQ plus issues all over the country. And this podcast is going to be discussing some of those in the future. But community is where you can find the most support. And where you can find people that you can help unpack some of the feelings of dread and trauma that you have gone through. And it's just it's a a very wholesome, uplifting sort of experience uh, working within a community.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I think one of the things that's a cornerstone of what we're trying to do here with this podcast is to, you know, help put up some signposts and go, Mm -hmm. hey. If you're looking to get involved in some way that fits who you are and your life and what you can and cannot do so to speak, this is a way to do it. You're a sports fan? Hey, there's this dope Pride Night with the Sharks. Uh you want to just be able to hang out with like-minded people while eating some, you know, eating an omelet and you want to check out a cool show? There's a the drag brunch. There's tons of events that are going to be going on throughout 2023 and it's our hope that through us, we can connect you to the wider net of the queer community.
0: Exactly. And on a national scale, we are actually seeing some more support as well. For example, the uh, LGBT National Coming Out Support Hotline is now live as of February 21st. It features, quote, highly trained, all LGBTQIA plus peer support volunteers. And, uh, you know, if you need that number, you've got one eight eight eight
1: out lgbt which is 888-688-5428. It's interesting because when I I saw this news, I got to thinking about, well, you know, you kind of don't think about your own coming out story once you're in it and you've done it. It doesn't mean that you don't continually come out as life goes on because there's always a moment where you've got to tell somebody, hey, this is who I am. But that first time, that first space where you're wanting to say those words out loud, maybe you don't have the support network in your own life that works for you. And here's this organization that's been around for a while, the actual LGBT national center. They've been around for over 20 years as a source to create a safe space for anyone in the queer community who needs someone to talk to about whatever issue is going on. And, um, yeah i just think it's it's great that they're still like yeah let's keep adding on to what we can offer
0: and i think it's important to note that people don't come out unless they feel comfortable and i think that's also part of what makes community so important is is creating those spaces where people feel safe where they feel comfortable being their authentic selves there was a report that came out last year about lgbtq plus people 7.2% 7.2% of the population now identifies as LGBTQ+, which is double what it was a decade ago, and it's even higher for Gen Z and millennials. Gen Zers about 20% identify as an LGBTQ as a member of the LGBTQ+ community, and 11% of millennials identify as uh, as LGBTQ+. And that is like Significantly more than, for example, Gen Xers, which are at three percent. The more safe spaces that we create for queer people, the more likely they are to come out and to live authentically.
1: Exactly. That that hits it right there. That's just uh, what I was thinking this this whole time is like, yeah, you know, queer people,
0: we've been around
1: forever but if you don't have a space in which you feel safe and secure to be authentically who you are, then, yeah, it's going to seem to the layperson, oh, we only just existed about uh, 50 years ago. <laughs> nope. Sorry. We we just needed somewhere safe and to feel good about wanting to be who we are without persecution and that kind of thing.
0: And actually, one of the things that always comes to mind is just how colonialism has stamped down on indigenous identities for so long and thankfully we've got the perfect person to talk about just this which is sam campbell board member of bay area american indian two spirits and we're going to get to that interview next
1: I guess the first thing I kind of want to get into is just the history of this organization, the Bay Area American Indian Two Spirits organization. You know, how long how long has this been a part of the Bay
2: Area? Bates as an organization has been around since 99, but the queer indigenous population in San Francisco has been there for a very long time. So before Bates became an organization, there was the Gay American Indians. And so that organization, that was um, Randy Burns and Barbara Cameron, they had some of the first and early gatherings and get togethers and talking circles for queer indigenous people in the San Francisco Bay Area. After a little while, the community started getting bigger and there was a a different need that was present in the community. And so in 99, or a little bit before, a group of people started getting together and saying, okay, we need a little bit more organization. We need a little bit more of a backing. We have to start making a name that we can all kind of come together under here in, in, in the Bay Area. And so, you know, the the term True Spirit is, in the grand scheme of things, relatively new. In '19. 90, there was a conference in Canada. In this conference, they were trying to decide how to talk about themselves. How do we um, find ourselves a place to exist within this LGBTQ like acronym space, right? And so a lot of ideas were proposed, and the one that stuck was Two-Spirit. And so now with this new name, this new identity to come, come around under, Bates had a good foothold, a good opportunity to start creating this unifying organization. And so a group of people came together and decided that it was time for, for something new, for some new blood. The original founding members uh, were Phoenix Laura, Ken Harper, Ruth Villaseñor, Morningstar, Gene Hightower, and Sally Ramon. And I'm sure there were others, but they're the first ones that comes to mind when, when people ask about the founders. And together they came together and they were able to start a little community for some people who didn't have a place to exist yet.
0: I often feel that that is the story of many queer communities just across the world where, you know, we don't have a uh, a general understanding of our ourselves. We we know ourselves, but we may not know how unique we are within the broader culture. And so we just start meeting other people within the community and we start working together and we begin finding that voice we begin finding um we begin finding that community not to not to sound too um uh, too generic about it but and that really is when we finally do come together and we do work together we're able to put together something so i'm very glad that you brought up the fact that the identities of queer people within the indigenous cultures has been around for so long because their culture has been around for as long as humanity has been around. These identities have been around for as long as humanity has been around. But it wasn't until we actually started putting name to it that we were able to find broader community um, within our general organizations. I, I think that it's, it's number one, it's an amazing thing. And I'm so glad that we have you here to, to, to discuss and to, uh, and to elucidate it as well. Um, what are some of the uh, uh, the things that the community does within the Bay Area to kind of uplift other indigenous people?
2: I think it's true that, you know, as queer people, we we kind of don't always realize like where we stand. But I think something else that happens is for marginalized groups of queer people, because of course there's like marginalized people inside marginalized people. It's so much harder to find that community. And so when you finally get that little glimpse of it, even if you're not out yet, you have somewhere you can exist right kind of the same concept as like a gsa mm-hmm. you know where the a is there for people who aren't out and and for allies but you know like it gives people who aren't out a safe space to exist right and so offering up that space for a community who generally wouldn't have that kind of community available to them is extremely important And so one of the early things that they started doing was hosting potlucks. They got an office at the LGBT Center in San Francisco, and they started hosting potlucks at Phoenix Lauda's place of work every, I think, month or something like that. And people from all over the community would come and they would talk about their stories. They would talk about who they are as people, how they each came from somewhere else. They would go to schools and other community events and Talk about, hi, we're Bates. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what Two-Spirit means. And so that in of itself was starting to allow us to spread out and reach more of the community. They started holding feeding classes, regalia-making classes, things like this. And so now, with a lot of budget cuts, the pandemic, a lot of that has had to be pulled back a lot. And thankfully, we live in a time now when we have the internet. And so we are able to connect to so many people. So as we'll I'm sure, talk about later, we have the powwow that happens every year. And a big thing that the board was trying to figure out how to do was how do we continue this during this pandemic? Because clearly there's a need for this. We have thousands of people that come every year. And so we were able to take that online and reach so many more people than we have before. Because it's not lost on us that not everybody can buy a ticket and fly to San Francisco. And so now we have a whole week of events that lead up to the power. We have all these virtual things, virtual drag shows. We have Snag Night, which is speed dating, right? We have a bunch of stuff. And so it's been interesting because the organization has had to evolve over time. And we're hoping to be able to reach more people now that we have some new leadership. We've just hired two new people. We have a new executive director, Anhal, and um, we have a uh, an events coordinator, Zamora, both who are very important and already an amazing standing with our community here. And so we're hoping that that in of itself will help us spread and reach the community in a greater sense.
1: The evolution, I think, is what I keyed in on there very much. So I know that that's something that occurs. All the time within every community, obviously, and especially in the LGBTQ plus community and the way we have had to reach people, especially during the pandemic, has has changed so much of what we do as a community. And knowing that Bates was able to kind of pivot at a time that, you know, could be very difficult for a lot of people, that kind of isolation that everybody was feeling, it gets even more intense
2: in the queer community. Mm hmm. And during the pandemic, I took on the role of the drum keeper for Bates. And gosh, every time I bring up something else, I'm like, oh, there's so much history here. There's a lot. There's like so many, many details. Um how
1: much time do we have you for, Sam?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I spent about on the last podcast I was on, I spent out four hours. We were just talking. It was an editing nightmare, but it was very fun. <laughs>
0: But like, this is the thing that I think so many people, even within the queer community, don't quite understand is just Mm -hmm. how much history and context is here. That's just, and you know, there's that big elephant in the room of colonization and how that has affected so many indigenous people, not just in the United States, but across the world and how that's trampled down on the history and the culture and how it's affected queerness throughout, you know, throughout humanity's history and like this is important context. It's not just, oh well, it's it's a small piece of human history. No, it's all of human history <laughs> that this is affecting, you know?
2: Yeah. And and at the sake of, you know, sounding, you know, like an angry old person, I'm I'm twenty seven, you know, I'm on the on the very cusp of Gen Z and millennial. But young queer people don't fully grasp, I believe, the weight and gravity of queer history just twenty years ago. Like my friends, the founders of Bates were at the first Dyke March, you know, Stonewall wasn't a long time ago. I have friends who were there, you know, and so we like to pretend that everything's great now. And most people, I would say, understand that that's not true. Not everybody lives in a safe environment. But the way that we're so willing to ignore the sacrifice that went into allowing us to exist as we are today, like talking about the drum the drum came to us in 2010 and our drum group would go up to the powwows and ask to play and get turned away that was 2010 you know and so wow. like it's it's still happening we get turned away from things all the time and even just the aids crisis that hit san francisco extremely hard and so who is there you know with all these gay men the, the lesbians were the ones that were there and dealing with that aftermath as well and so I have friends telling me extremely like heart-wrenching stories that get kind of swept under the rug. And so I think even if it's not like overarching queer history, there's some nuances that really need to be understood when talking about this.
0: And I feel like this is also part of the reason why um, having conversations like this is so valuable, because we're actually able to expand on some pieces of the history that were, mm-hmm. again, that was lost or that just isn't there. We have... As you said, because of the AIDS crisis, there is an entire generation of queer people that just aren't with us anymore. Mm-hmm. And we have, and that wasn't that long ago. Like, there are people alive today that lived through that, that survived mm-hmm. that. And yeah. we are still seeing the effects of it today. Well, it's
1: like, um, I've, I've taken at least a couple of trips to the GLBT Museum in the Castro area. And uh, when I first moved here, that was a great experience for me to understand just how much not just how much was lost during a period of time in the queer history, but how much of it is centered in the Bay Area. Uh, coming from North Carolina, a very small town, there's there's history there, um, but you know it's a very different type of history. And so, just the levels of what can be learned if we are willing to listen to people who are still here, who still know, who still experienced and remember. That's not something to be taken lightly.
2: Like, even even now as we're talking about it, saying like, oh, there's people who lived through that. Like, it was only the 80s. Right. I missed it by six years. I wouldn't even really call it history yet, you know?
0: Right. Like In the grand scheme of human existence, it was uh, a <laughs> breath away. You know, exactly. it was it was so close. Yeah. But that, I think, is also part of the reason why organizations like Bates are so important is because we're able to grab this community and because of, you know, with the advent of the internet and with all of this, we're actually able to be like, hey, you also identify as this. Like, I know that my queer journey started on the internet um, because I am of a certain age (laughs) and it's heartbreaking to think that there were members of our communities in, you know, the seventies that didn't have any of that, that had to build their communities as organically as they could without any of that connection again, why why Bates is so important, why why all of these queer organizations are so important. And something that I think is that is fascinating to me is just how little of that history, how much of that was indigenous history and how that wasn't addressed at all for so long that there were indigenous people that were going through the same troubles as we were. They were affected even more so than... Uh, uh, than many of the queer communities that were at the forefront of, and they were there at the forefront of these marches and these fights, but their voices were silenced. And it's so important that we have these organizations today that are able to tell these stories again.
2: Behind me, I have um, I have my Two-Spirit. Oh, nice! Pride uh, flag. Speaking of privilege, there's one place you can buy this online, and it's like $40. Really Yeah.
0: God. So that actually brings me to nothing <laughs> No, no, but like seriously, I there's there's so much of like um culture in general that is just gatekept behind mm. having money. A paywall? Yeah. The, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> So much solid reporting is done on, you know, amazing websites that are subscription only. And it's like, oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Atlantic. I wanted to read this article about the housing crisis, but now it's behind a paywall and I can't afford to buy your subscription because I need to afford rent. And Bay Area rent is kind yes. of really expensive. So, <laughs> Oh, geez. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, I mean, so we... Bay Area expense. Gosh, Yeah. But like it it still ties into this because yes. um, there are indigenous communities within the Bay Area that can, that are struggling right now with affordability. Just like, you know, if if red goes up to thirty five hundred dollars a month, it's going to affect everybody. But the people that aren't making as much are going to be hurt the most. And who is that normally? People who are not white. <laughs> so yeah.
2: it's an important conversation, especially with the indigenous population in Oakland. Like, for for people who aren't familiar with Oakland, it's, um I would say, the heart of the Bay Area, really, outside of San Francisco. There's just so much love and culture and beauty there that is being juxtaposed with low income and people having to do what they can just to survive. And it's really sad. And when community has the opportunity to come together in Oakland, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And that's one thing that I think, always gets overlooked when people talk about going to Oakland.
1: No, I agree. Um, my Again, my experience with the Bay Area is, you know, ever evolving uh, now that I'm a part of it more fully. But um, I, I did have the opportunity, fortunately, to cover the Trans March that went through Oakland mm-hmm. and talk about boots on the ground mentality and wanting to preserve what makes Oakland so great. And wanting to say, we're a part of it. Don't exclude us from this city. We are part of the heart of this community. Um, So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Oakland is just such an amazing place.
0: And so often overlooked. Yes. In conversations, like most people, when they think about queerness in the Bay Area, they say San Francisco. But like San Francisco is a piece of the puzzle. But there were many things happening within Oakland in the 1960s and 70s that are just not taught and are not shown in movies like Stonewall. They're just, mm-hmm. you know.
2: It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. You know, and that's, you know, in Beat, being queer. You queers. could do a whole series just on that. You're right. <laughs> yeah.
0: like, there are already so many true crime podcasts. Why can't we have like true history podcasts where we're going back and looking into these into these communities and just telling the story of a community? I mean, you can yeah. have a 60-episode series on that and still not cover a single percent. Well, that, that's something
1: I'm, I'm curious then with, the reach that Bates is is now finding by being online and and on top of what you already do, you know, out there in in the physical world, is the community interested in the past as much as they are in the present? Like, are they wanting to know more about Two Spirit? Are they wanting to know more about the the queer Indigenous people that came before them? Are you seeing a lot of that
2: now? I think it's different with the Two Spirit community because Indigenous people are so story oriented oral histories are so very important that when you go into these spaces, when you sit at the drum, you have no choice but to learn, honestly. And some people might think it's good, some people might not, but that's how we do it, you know. And so you might walk away from a drum circle learning a song. And so, you know, I learned it from this person, they learned it from this person who learned it from that person. And so I think while there is still that sometimes ignorance of where people come from and where these words come from, I think there's a more willingness to learn, and I think there's a bigger obstacle to learn because the stories aren't there. Um, you can't just Google like Stonewall and learn everything about it, right? There's, there's so much history that's gone, especially for specific tribes and specific people, and the information that we have is extremely limited. So the only way you can learn is from finding community. So I don't think necessarily it's from a lack of wanting, but rather a lack of access, mm-hmm. but... I have noticed a very big uptick in ally curiosity. So I think within the last like two years, we've been having a lot more people reach out to have conversations like this one of of learning about art history or learning about general history and wanting to make sure that people understand that. And it's, it's kind of cool because we have our powwow. We'll have a little booth and signs that say like, this is what Two Spirit is. Like, this isn't just a normal powwow, you know? And we get people from everywhere. We've had people travel internationally to come and see this. And then we also have the people who show up with their Bibles. We we have this one woman and I'm coming to understand that she might be somebody that travels around because this is very specific. And other people have said that they've seen someone similar, but she came with her Bibles and a parrot, a parrot on her shoulder. And she was talking about how she could cure us with, with God or whatever. But it was it was the parrot obviously that stuck out, and some other people have like, hey, a woman with a parrot came to my thing, you know, and not even in the same state. So who knows? But there's a big uptick in I think the desire to preserve history, and it's nice, yeah.
0: You just had the powwow this month, and we did, we did, yeah. Uh, just seeing the photos from it have been just breathtaking, just amazing. How's the reception for this event? Number one, and then uh, like you say, that people travel from all over the world. How has it helped you find more community?
2: Again, this is one of those that history is so important. So like I said, Bates was around since 99, right? And they were doing smaller community things, bead making, regalia making, potlucks. Um, I'd have to clarify because I keep being told um, LGBT center, but I'm curious if it's the GLBT center where they had an office. Um, I'm not 100% sure. But they held their first powwow there in, in, in 2012. When I asked, I said, how many people were you expecting? They said, oh, none. We <laughs> we weren't expecting anybody, you know. We expected our friends to come and that's what it would be. But they they got 500 people to show up to their first one and better than they could have imagined. And so since then, it's been growing. And eventually we moved into the Fort Mason Center in San Francisco and we get on average about 5000 people that come and it's, it's a one day event that the actual powwow as you can imagine that's a lot of people it's a very large space but you know it when you're walking in there it doesn't feel like 5000 but like obviously people are coming and going but it's very awe-inspiring i guess to see all these people like coming together and and being themselves and enjoying people being themselves So, the uh, reach that the internet has allowed us to get, I haven't even looked at the analytics from this year yet, but it was really significant because we live streamed this one, even though we knew that we were going to be back in person. We didn't want to take that away from people who, over the last two years, had learned to access this, had had that ability to finally connect with their culture. And so, the hope. And the goal for these things are always to bring in more people and to always allow folks to have a new place to live and exist. And so, with the powwow, we've had a lot of young people come up. And I think this is the highest number of like young people on the board because we're trying to reach out to more youth. We have, in my opinion, one of the best Tiny Tot dancing events. And one family in particular that comes to mind is is um, some of my friends who also live in San Francisco, a single parent and their kid. And their kid is two-spirit and came to sit with us at the drum one day and just face lit up, finally finding a place. And I think they're seven, eight. And so like that makes everything worth it when you see little kids coming and feeling a sense of acceptance and not um, receiving this feedback from adults that are like, you don't really understand yet, you know, instead you're in this room with adults
0: who get it. That's the goal. That's the goal is to bring people into the community and to help people feel welcome.
2: On the website, there is a donate button. That money that we collect helps us fund the powwow and helps us put the funds that we do have towards other community events like the regalia making and the bead work that we want to bring back. And so uh, any little bit helps. And if you come to the powwow, we always have donation jars at the front. Bring friends. Have a good time. Support the vendors there. You're never going to find anything more beautiful than something made by a two-spirit person. So,
0: Do you have any advice for somebody who may be a two-spirit person that lives in the Bay Area that might need to find community? Is there any advice that you could give that person?
2: So I have two pieces of advice. One for people who are in the San Francisco Bay Area and one for those who aren't for people in the area, send us an email. You can find our email on the website. We are more than happy to let you know when our when our meetings are, invite you to sit at the drum, anything like that. We always want to be able to share that with people. For those of you who aren't in an area with Two-Spirit folks, I will say I just moved out of the San Francisco Bay Area for school, and so it's very strange because I don't currently have a Two-Spirit community. So For those of you who can, and it is safe to, I suggest trying to start your own community. Do small things like Bait Started Here with potlucks. Once a month, every couple of months, just get-togethers game nights. You know, things like that to show people that you're there. And for those of you who aren't safe to be out, we have all of our powwows, the last two, are online available on YouTube. And so if you can find time to access that and just... You have the opportunity to watch that and watch that joy and and share in that. I would encourage that. And if you can find a time in the future to, to come out, but just know you're not alone. You know, there's more of us out there and there's many, many more who are in the same position as you. Every year Bates marches in the San Francisco Pride Parade. We've been doing that since 2003 and we do opening ceremonies for the Pride Parade and the drum group usually heads off the dyke march. And so if you're at Pride, you see us, say hi.
0: Right on. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to add?
2: In 2019, the city of San Francisco was one of the cities that started taking down some racist statues. Um We had one right in the civic center, right in front of the town hall. It was a monument that had um, a soldier kind of stepping on and holding down an indigenous person. And so the community rallied to have that taken down. And when it was, the city invited a group of elders to come and be part of this exhibition, this project called the Continuous Thread. And you can search up pictures. There's, there's amazing pictures online. And the Bates founders were invited, those who are still living, and they were able to take photos on that platform where the statue used to be and honor that, that history that exists in San Francisco. And And it is on Ohlone land. And so all of us who are there, who are able to celebrate and and live truly as us, have the Ohlone people to thank for that, for, for their organizing power, especially being not a federally recognized tribe. They have done so much for our communities.
0: Thank you so much to Sam Campbell, board member of Bay Area American Indian Two Spirits. You can find more information on their organization at BAA. ITS.org and follow them at BAAITS underscore SF on Instagram.
1: One of the things that I got from that interview with Sam, which I mean, there was so much uh, so much to get from it, so much that's positive and and makes, you know, what what, I want to be more informed Mm -hmm. with what I know when it comes to the Bay Area Uh, American Indian two spirits and just in the native and indigenous LGBTQ plus world, but is how they have continually adapted and found ways to reach their community, the community Mm -hmm. of people that they knew was out there and and to be able to have that space for the queer community and the two spirit community. In the native
0: world, I think that it's amazing that they've been able to just in the last couple of years expand their reach just through, you know, hosting their, uh, their powwows online, through electing younger and younger board members to help with that outreach. It's just a, a very, very cool organization and just a can't wait to see uh can't wait for the next powwow number 1 and and I, I, know. <laughs> I can't wait for uh, uh to see where the organization goes in the future they're just fabulous organization
1: exactly and so yeah we definitely want to give our thanks to Sam Campbell for taking the time to speak with us and again if you want to know more about the Bay Area American Indian Two Spirit Organization you can go to baaits.
0: Hey, just a heads up. We do know that there is a lot of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ plus legislation that has gone on all over the country. Now, this podcast is primarily focused on Bay Area issues, but here's the thing. What happens in the Bay Area also affects people that are in other states, and what happens in other states also affects us here in the Bay Area. So we will be talking with experts in the future about what we can do to help our siblings in other states fight back against this type of legislation, find community where they don't have community, and yeah, hopefully make the world a little bit better uh, for the coming generations. So that will be coming up in a future episode of Queerly Inquiring.
1: This podcast is a production of Mary Hughes and Greg Veronica. all rights reserved. See show notes for links and references. Music provided by Stay Loose on YouTube. For questions and recommendations, you can email Greg at offairarcade at gmail.com.